0: The Clever Slave's Ghost Story. Here's the place, said Philomartium, using the large door knocker for its intended purpose. Nice, said Scaffer approvingly. He's got quite a bit of cash, your fella, hasn't he? His dad has, said Philomartium. Philolakis hasn't anything of his own. He had to borrow the money to set me free and for this party. But the old man's rich as Croesus. He's been away for over a year doing business in Egypt. Hence the party, said Scaffa. It was a big party, and already in full swing as the door slave let them in, even though it was barely lunchtime. The crowd seemed nice enough, but Scaffa was a realist. I hope you haven't got your hopes up just because he you bought your freedom, she said. You know all he really wanted was to stop you seeing anyone else. As soon as his dad gets back, you're on your own. But Philomartium wasn't listening. "'Hello,' she said brightly to a young man, fetching himself a cup of wine. "'I don't think we've met. Are you a friend of Philolacus?' "'Er, uh, sort of,' said the young man. "'My name's Macius. Are you enjoying the party?' "'We just got here, but I am now,' said Philomartium with a grin. Scuffer was probably right. She shouldn't put all her eggs in one basket, after all. Philolacus was watching with narrowed eyes from across the room. Who's that, talking to Filomatium? he asked Tranio, his slave. I don't know, Master, came the reply. Probably a friend of hers, or an ex-customer. But, Master, you can hardly marry her after all. her talk to whomever she wants. Philolakes opened his mouth to object, but was interrupted before he had the chance. Philolakes cried his friend Calidomatis from across the room. I saw your father's ship in the harbour. Has he sent it home without himself in it? Ye gods, exclaimed Filolakis, the colour draining from his face. His ship! So where is he? Is he coming here? When? We need to get these people out of here! Tranio moved quickly over to the window and glanced down the street. Um, I hate to upset you, but it's a bit late for that. He's next door talking to Simo. Philolakis jumped up in a state of panic and was sick on the floor. Philomartium rushed over to coo over him and the door-slave went to fetch water, but the rest of the party carried on regardless. Even Khalidomartes had disappeared into the kitchen. "'Help me, Tranio! gasped out Philolaches through his misery. "'Shit!' thought Tranio to himself, but out loud he said, "'Of course, master. Leave it to me!' Fighting his way through the party, he dashed out into the garden, hopped over the wall, and nipped around the back to make it look like he was approaching from further up the street, just in time to catch the old man Theopropides as he moved away from his neighbour's house and towards his own. ''Master! Master! Stop!'' screamed Tranio as he ran down the street. ''What?'' The old man looked up in confusion. ''Tranio, what are you doing? What's the matter with you? ''Come away, master! Come away from the house at once!'' Tranio grabbed the old man roughly by the arm and pulled him away into the street. A distant crash was heard from inside the house. Hey, that noise came from... Tranio. what are you doing? Have you gone mad? demanded Theopropides. He tried to resist and get back to his front door, but Tranio was much younger and stronger than him, and he was helpless as he was almost dragged away down the street. You must not touch the house, master! Not with one finger! It's... It's suddenly inspiration struck Tranio. It's cursed, cursed! Someone cursed my house! cried Theopropides. It's always been cursed. I mean, since you bought it, insisted Tranio, pulling the old man as far away from the house and the noisy party as possible. Nonsense, man! How can my house be cursed, and I not even know it? objected Theopropides. Well, I'll tell you," said Tranio. Theopropides stood and waited expectantly. I'll tell you, in the taverna on the next street, said Tranio. You're going to need a stiff drink. (music) Tranio spent as much time as he could fussing over getting the old man the best seat in the taverna, going through the wine list as thoroughly as possible, letting the barman serve everyone else in the bar first and sending back the first cups of wine because he insisted they were the dregs and not good enough for his master. But eventually he had no choice. He had run out of distractions and would have to come up with something to say about why Theopropyde's house was cursed. Well, you see, master, it's like this. Yes? Well, you see, it's like this. Yes? It's like this, you see. Get on with it, man! And so Tranio launched into his story. we noticed strange omens about the house. Eerie sounds were heard in the night. There were strange knockings at all sorts of times of day. Sometimes it even seemed as if we could hear the sounds of a raucous party going on when really there was nobody there and nothing was happening. Then one morning, your son, Phililacus, your son, he went into the dining room for breakfast and found a message scrawled across the wall in blood. Terribilis Locus iste. This place is terrible. That was when we realised that the house was cursed. It had been polluted by a terrible crime that was committed within its walls. Wait a minute. (laughs) said Theopropides. We've lived in this neighbourhood for years. How could a crime as terrible as you suggest have been committed in the house and we've never heard of it? It was committed a long time ago, said Tranio. Now, do you want to hear the story or not? Theopropides nodded his head and Trenio continued. So, the message given us a clue to what was going on. Obviously, the house is terrible because some terrible crime had been committed there. But we didn't yet know what and we didn't know how to go about finding out. The knocking went on and on, all day and all night. The moaning sounds were getting worse, but we were scratching our heads, not knowing where to start. Then one morning, another message appeared, even bigger letters, all in blood. Deco, I say. But what did it say? We couldn't work it out at all. Then the next morning, another message. Dikimo. Well, that didn't make any sense at all, and we wondered if maybe whoever cursed the house was a poor man who couldn't spell very well. But then the next day it changed again. It said, Which is, of course, "homicidium" backwards. Murder. The house was polluted because someone had been murdered there. And we might even have met and talked to the murderer. It was probably the very man who sold you the house. Wait. You mean our neighbour, Polydorus, who moved a little way up the street? You think he murdered someone? Polydorus is one to watch, you know, he keeps many secrets. Anyway, on with the story. Well, once we knew a murder had been committed on the premises, we knew we had to do something about it. So we started a thorough search of the old house, looking for evidence. We realised that if the murder had been covered up, that meant the body was probably still in the house, buried without a proper funeral or anything. And when we looked, we even noticed that the floor in the kitchen looks a lot newer than the rest of the floors. Ye gods, cried Theopropides, rising. We must exhume the body at once and lay it to rest with proper burial rites. Call the undertaker, search the house, especially the kitchen. No, no, cried Tranio in a panic. We don't know for sure it's the kitchen. We don't even know for sure where the body is. But we know there is a body, and there was a murder, because, you see his ghost told us the victim's ghost what theopropides sat down with a thud shocked yes said Tranio. if you just let me get on with my story i'll explain it was late at night your son philalucky's your son he'd been out dining with friends well-educated cultured friends rich friends good friends to have Anyway, he came back late, and we all went to bed, but I, silly me, I'd left a lamp burning in the dining room. I just plumb forgot about it. Anyway, so we all went to bed, and then, in the middle of the night, I heard a terrible scream coming from your son's bedroom. From my son's bedroom, said Theoprobides. I thought you said the lighted lamp was in the dining room. Well, yes, yeah, so it was, but, well, that didn't have anything to do with it, really. "'It was just something else that happened that night,' said Tranio, "'with only the slightest edge of desperation creeping into his voice. "'Let me carry on.' "'Feelilakis came running out of his bedroom, screaming. "'He was in a terrible state, eyes wide with shock, "'trembling all over, every hair standing on end. "'I saw him!' he cried. "'He came to me. He came to me in my sleep!' Hang on, hang on just a minute, said Theopropides, putting down his wine cup firmly and looking Tranio right in the eyes. Are you telling me that this was all a dream? Yes, the ghost came to him in a dream, said Tranio, and he said, in a dream, repeated Theopropides, motioning the barman to bring the bill. His previous alarm had completely subsided and he was now giving Tranio a suspicious look. Well of course in a dream the man's been dead sixty years. How else should you expect him to talk to anyone? cried Tranio. Now are you gonna let me tell this story or not? Theopropides sighed and motioned the slave to continue. Tranio drew breath to speak, but before he could say a word something else suddenly occurred to the old man. Sixty years, he said. I thought you said you suspected Polydorus. He's barely fifty. I told you, he has many secrets, said Tradio, and he's been lying about his age. Anyway. I saw him, Filolackeys cried, tearing at his nightclothes in terror and discomfort. I saw him. He came at me, and he was terrible to behold. He was an old man, his face haggard, his eyes popping out from their sockets. His fingers were charred from the funeral pyre. I thought you said there wasn't a proper funeral. Tranio ignored this entirely. His fingers were charred from the funeral pyre, and he was weighted down by heavy iron chains which dangled from his wrists and his feet. Felilacis, your son Felilacis, he could hear the chains clanking as he dragged them across the ground. Clank, clank, clank. The spectre reached out to him with his shriveled hands, the chains flying up in his face, and he cried, Help me, Philolacus! Help me! Your son was terrified, but he thought of you and how brave you would be if it were happening to you, and he drew himself up to his full height, and he looked the ghost square in its terrible hollow eyes with the skin all pulled back around the skull, and he said, Who are you, and how can I help you? I was a guest of the man who owned this place, Polydorus, said the ghost. I was a traveller from across the sea, an old family friend. I was married to his wife's cousin's barber's patron. My name is Diapontius. His name literally meant across the sea. It was his work name, said Tranio desperately, and he ploughed on. I was a rich merchant, and when Polydorus saw how much gold I carried with me, he murdered me, buried my body without any funeral rites at all, and stole my gold. So now, I am doomed to haunt this place, forever denied passage across the Styx and entry into the underworld, and you must leave this house forever, for it is cursed. "'Well, that settles it,' cried Theopropides. "'We must search the house morning, noon, and night until we find the body, "'so we can bury it properly and lay this ghost to rest.' "'Alas, that won't help,' cried Tranio. "'You see,' the ghost explained. "'I'm doomed, doomed to haunt this house for a 125 years, no matter what you do.' "'That's terrible,' said Philolaches. your son, Philolaches, "'Why?' I'll tell you why, said the ghost. Because, said the ghost. Because, he said, Hades will not let me descend to the underworld because I died before my time. I must wait out my lifespan in this place and only when my allotted time is reached will I be allowed to cross the river and join the eternal dead in their kingdom. Hundred and twenty-five years, sputtered Theophrastides. No man has ever lived so long. ''It was a very healthy man,'' said Tranio irritably, "Had his life not been tragically cut short. ''So you see, we cannot possibly return to the house. ''You should go back to Egypt straight away and stay there safely until we can buy a new home on your behalf.'' ''Perhaps you are right,'' said Theopropides slowly. ''I certainly do not want to live in a cursed and haunted house.'' He quickly made a sign against evil and took a small amulet out from underneath his tunic, kissed it and put it back again. "'But I have treasures of my own in there, Tranio. I must go back for them.' "'Let me, master. I'll fetch whatever you want for you.' "'No, no. These are my most precious treasures and their location is known only to myself, and I mean to keep it that way. "'No, I must brave this place to fetch them. Come, Tranio. We are returning home.' As Tranio followed his master out of the taverna and back towards the house, he was reasonably optimistic. He had kept the old man talking for a long time, so surely Philolachus would have ended the party and cleared out the guests by now. But his hopes were dashed as they came up the street towards the house, for he could still hear singing, talking and the occasional crash coming from inside. "'Master, do you hear? It's the ghost!' he cried, jumping in front of Theopropides and standing between the old man and the house. "'Ye gods,' said Theopropides. "'how am I to get in?' "'I shall go ahead of you, master, and clear away the spirits so you can get in. "'But be careful. Touch nothing but your treasures. "'Don't look around you and don't so much as brush the doorframe. "'In fact, close your eyes, take my hand, and I'll lead you through the house.' Theopropides appeared to think for a minute. "'Very well,' he said. I'll close my eyes until we reach the bedroom. Then you must close your eyes while I fetch my things. Good plan, master, said Tranio. Taking the old man's hand while Theopropides used the other to cover his eyes, Tranio led him carefully through the front door and into the house. A party guest moaned and vomited into the plant pot as they went past. What was that? said Theopropides. Can you hear the spirit moaning, master, said Tranio, hurrying on. As they went past the impluvium, another party guest, laughing, toppled backwards and fell in with a loud splash. "'What was that?' said Theopropides. "'The ghost's chains are dragging across the floor and through the impluvium, master! Can you feel the splash?' Tranio pulled the old man away before a second guest followed their friend in. As they headed towards the bedrooms, both suddenly stumbled over the prone form of another party guest.' "'lying on the floor. "'Ah! What was that?' said Theopropides. "'I think the ghost is trying to show us where he's buried, Master. "'He's lying prone on the floor!' cried Tranio, "'kicking the whimpering man quietly behind him. "'They were almost to the bedroom door "'when a voice from behind them cried, "'Father, I can explain everything!' Tranio dropped the old man's hand "'and made desperate waving motions at Philolaches, "'trying to get him to stop talking.' but it was too late. Theopropides took his hand from his eyes at the sound of his son's voice and looked around at the chaos before him. Fidolakis, he said, first in amazement, which quickly turned to anger. What exactly is going on here? Father, hello, I can explain everything honestly. "I Why are you having a party in a haunted house? There was an uncomfortable silence. Er... Uh, Said Philolaches. Light seemed to dawn on Theopropides. There is no ghost, is there? he said, turning to Tranio coldly. Ah, uh, master, I. Tranio gave up and fled across the hall to the family lararium, where they kept a small altar. He leapt on top of it, saying, May the gods protect me! Is this where the money I sent you to invest has gone? thundered Theopropides as drunken party guests started to cotton on to what was happening and quickly and quietly make their exits. Filimatium started to move towards Philolakes, but he looked at her with panic and anger, and she quietly slipped away. ''Oh, father, we've spent very little money, really,'' said Philolakes, as a party guest knocked over a priceless decorative crater in their hurry to leave, and the chef slipped by with a tray of rare delicacies to store in the kitchen. "'Young man, when I am through with you and that impudent slave!' started Theopropides. But he was interrupted again, this time by Calidamartes, who was approaching looking reasonably upright with his arm around Scaffa. "'Let me interrupt, good sir,' he said, putting a firm hand on Theopropides' shoulder. "'I am, as you know, financially independent and very rich!' There was a definite smirk playing around his mouth as he said this. And I have reason to be grateful to your son for throwing this little gathering or shindig or hootenanny. And here he squeezed Scarfa's shoulders while she looked up at him adoringly. So to save my friend and his loyal man here, pointing at Tranio, from unnecessary hardship and or beating, I will offer to pay the full costs of this party and all the damages. Just this party or all the parties since the master went away, said Tranio but he said it quietly and to himself and perhaps the household gods. Thea thought about it. "'All the costs?' he said slowly. "'And the damages? Including replacing that crater?' He'd never liked the crater much and was quite enjoying the thought of getting a better one. "'Indeed, sir,' said Khalid grandly. "'Your son has given me a priceless gift in this young woman.' At that, he and Scarfa kissed noisily and everyone else looked away for a moment as there are few things in this world less sexy to watch than very drunk people kissing. Very well, said Theopropides. You can come down from the altar, Tranio. Calidomatis has saved you a lashing. But Philolaches, I expect you to help clear up at least and if this ever happens again, I can assure you, you will not find me so generous. And with that... The excitement was over, the guests returned home, and things started to settle back down into their old, quiet patterns, the way things had been before Theopropides went away. Machias watched sadly from the atrium as the last of the guests left. That's a shame, he thought to himself. I was rather enjoying those parties. Since there was nothing else to see, he drifted back, to lie where his body had been hastily and improperly buried under the kitchen floor, and while away the century twiddling his ethereal thumbs in boredom. The End Hi everyone, I'm Juliet Harrison. Welcome back to Creepy Classics, the podcast where I rewrite, retell and then chat about ancient, medieval or early modern ghost stories. With everything that's going on in the world at the minute, I thought maybe something a little bit more cheerful uh, might be a good idea for this month. Um, So that's why I chose this story from a comic play. This is from Plautus Mostellaria, lines 446 to 531 with bits and pieces from the rest of the play as well. This is one of the earliest Latin texts that has survived um, in a complete form. Plautus was a playwright, writing in the 3rd, 2nd centuries BCE. What he did was he took Greek plays and he adapted them for a Roman audience. So the resulting stories are kind of half late ancient Greek, half early Roman and half kind of nothing at all. Um, This play is set in a house in Athens. It's been adapted from a Greek original. We know there were several uh, sort of late Greek comedies called The Ghost, um, but we don't have them. We only have the Plautus version. The ghost story in the play is, of course, completely fictional within the fiction. Um, it, it's not a ghost story in the sense that in the play there is no ghost. The house is not haunted, even though the title, Mostelaria, is the haunted house or the haunted place. Um, there's no actual haunting. There's no ghost. It's all made up by Traneo, um, to try to stop the old man catching his son, um, spending all his money and having parties in his house. So... I've added the character of Machias, Machias is Plautus's own family name, Um, and I've added that just to give it a little bit of a real ghost story. (laughs) I always like my ghost stories to have actual ghosts in them. I never liked Scooby-Doo as a child because I hated that it was never an actual ghost. If if I'm going to read a ghost story or watch one or listen to one, I want it to be a ghost story with a ghost in it, so I added a, a real ghost. But uh, the whole point of this story is that Tranio is making it up on the spot and it's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to be absolutely full of holes and to sound completely ridiculous because that's the joke, that Tranio has made up this ridiculous story that completely deceives the old man uh, and keeps him out of the house a bit longer. I've shortened it quite a lot. The the plays, Plautus's plays, they're farces. Um, There's loads of kind of people running around, different subplots, loads of characters. It's that type of comedy. So in order to make it a short story focused entirely on the ghost aspect, I've cut quite a lot of it. I've edited out all the subplots. My old man has ended up a little bit braver and a little bit less gullible than (laughs) Plautus's, mostly because of the way I've cut the story down. And I've added various bits and pieces um, because while I've cut down the overall plot, I've, of course, expanded the ghost part uh, and I've made a lot more out of the ghost story um, than there is in the original. So some of the expansions I've put in come from other ancient texts and some of them are modern things that I threw in for fun. So the bit about um, the old man closing his eyes and walking through the house is me. Ancient Greek plays take place in a single location outside the front door of the house um aristotle talked a lot about unity of time and place that basically aristotle thought all drama should be in real time in one location nowadays we would think of that as a bottle episode and a really strict one at that um, so i have expanded it anything that's in any other location has been my idea um, so the taverna was me i've expanded the section where Tranio tells the story a lot and then i've got the movement through the house i've added all of that i took the detail of the ghost having charred fingers from my favorite poem by propertius um, which i will adapt for this podcast at some point because i love it <laughs> haven't done it yet Um uh, Pro- propertius poem 4.7 is the ghost with charred fingers from the funeral pyre The chains come from the most famous version of the Roman haunted house story, which is the version uh, recorded by Pliny in his letters. Uh, Again, I haven't done that one yet. I am intending to cover that story at some point later this year. Uh, The impluvium, by the way, is the pool of rainwater that stood in the atrium of Roman homes. There was essentially a sort of a glassless skylight uh, in the roof. Rain was allowed to fall through into a pool of water in the atrium. It's called an impluvium. Uh, Lararium is a shrine to the household gods, uh, the Lares. The Lares are the gods for the whole household. And then a rich family will also worship Penates, who are their own ancestral gods. But the Lares are worshipped by everybody, including slaves and guests. So is leaps onto the altar in front of the lorarium there wouldn't really be an altar indoors Um, in Plautus's play he leaps onto an outdoors altar because the action is taking place outside of the house you wouldn't really have an altar indoors you don't sacrifice animals indoors it's messy Um, but I've invented a sort of a small altar for non-blood sacrifices of honey cakes and things like that and put it in front of the lorarium so that Tranio can jump onto it the way he does Um, in Plautus' original play. And then there's various bits and pieces that I've taken from modern bits of pop culture. Um, Terribilis est locus iste is biblical, but I actually got it from the British uh, police drama detective series Taggart, um, where it was used as a clue uh, in a murder mystery. Um, The bit where the ghost keeps spelling weird things on the wall is my attempt to put the red rum murder thing from The Shining into Latin, um, which didn't work brilliantly, but (laughs) I had a go. The 125 years comes from Beetlejuice. So in Plautus, he does say that the ghost has to hang around in the house um, to live out his lifespan um, because he needs to explain why they can't just find the body. This is how you usually lay a ghost to rest in the ancient world. You find the body, you give it proper burial rites, and it's laid to rest. He said, oh, no, no, that won't work. But the 125 years specifically I took from Beetlejuice, uh, the reference to a gathering a shindig or a hootenanny is just a Buffy the Vampire Slayer quote that makes me laugh. Um, and then, of course, the, the real ghost, which is entirely my invention. Plautus's plays are very formulaic, and they're full of stock characters. So all of the characters are rather two dimensional. There's the foolish old man, the clever slave, the lovelorn young man, etc., etc., etc. There's a great little series of cartoons at uh, a website called ShakespeareTheatre.org. Uh, if you go to www.shakespearetheatre.org/watch-listen/how-to-write, <laughs> they've got some lovely little cartoons uh, about stock. Plautus characters and stock plots it's very very formulaic farces the clever slave is a really popular character in Plautus's plays always reminds me a little bit of some kind of distant ancestor of Jeeves and Worcester um, and probably not accidentally P.G. Woodhouse would have read Plautus uh, where there's the young man usually wanting to get married in the case of Mostelaria, the young man doesn't seem to want to marry the young woman which is unusual Um, but the young man with girl trouble uh, running around with unsuitable young women and then the clever slave who protects him from the wrath of older relatives, male or female. And this story can tell us some interesting things about Greco-Roman ghost folklore more generally. And this has been written about by uh, Debbie Felton in her book Haunted Greece and Rome. I would absolutely recommend this book if you are in any way interested in ancient ghost stories. Um, It's fairly small paperback and relatively easily available. So do seek it out. And Felton talks us through some of the common themes in this story and some of the ways that the story turns themes on their head. So we've got some super common themes here. We've got a murder victim revealing the murderer. They've been murdered for gold. And of course, the improper burial, which is just in so many, you know, it'd be easier to count the ancient ghost stories that don't feature improper burial as part of the reason for the haunting. Felton points out, usually when a murder victim turns up to reveal their murderer, they do usually do so in a dream. But usually it's a close family member that usually turn up and tell um, a child, parent, a sibling, somebody who's going to be invested in avenging their death, or maybe a friend. And um, we saw that with two friends at the inn uh, in an earlier episode. This one is unusual because the ghost turns up to a total stranger, and of course that's because it's it's a made-up story, even within the fiction. The reference to the dream has been quite controversial because some scholars have interpreted. That is as suggesting that ghosts could only appear through dreams in the ancient world. But of course, as Felton points out, this is part of Tranio messing up the story because he's making it up on the spot. Now, it is true to say that mostly when ghosts need to give a fairly specific message, they will tend to do it in a dream. They tend to be much more able to communicate through a dream, as well as usually turning up to close friends and family members and lovers and so on. So... Tranio needs the ghost to turn up in a dream in order to give the clear message. But he's already started the story as a more traditional haunted house story, which does not usually involve a dream. Because with a dream, it's usually a friend, a relative, and the location, the geographical location, is irrelevant. A haunted house story is the opposite. The people who see the ghost are not friends, are not relatives, are total strangers to the ghost themselves, and it's the geographical location that ties the ghost to the place and in those cases the ghost is not usually able to communicate anything like so easily as they can if it's a dream. So in Pliny's haunted house story the ghost can't speak, he has to motion and move around the house to show the philosopher who's staying there where his body is buried uh, so that he can be properly buried and set free. So this is part of Traneo messing up and we know he's started out intending to tell a haunted house story because Felton points out this detail of the lighted lamp that in the serious haunted house stories there is usually a lamp or the philosopher is up late working so he's got a lamp lit. Basically ancient ghosts don't seem to glow Uh, they don't seem to have any kind of aura or glow about them And, of course, they don't have streetlights in the ancient world or anything like that. If you're inside the house, there's no moonlight, there's no starlight. So in order to see a ghost, if you're not dreaming, you have to have a light on. So Tranio starts out telling a traditional haunted house story with a lighted lamp. Then he remembers that he's also telling a murder victim wants revenge story, which usually involves a dream, so he switches to the dream. And it's all part of the fact that he is getting it wrong because he's making it up on the spur of the moment, but that the old man is so gullible that he believes him anyway. So it's a really interesting example of some of these folklore themes and how strong they were and how important they were, but it's also really important to be careful when drawing conclusions from it to bear in mind that this is meant to be a bad example of a ghost story. It is not meant to quite work properly. So if you would like to read the play, you can read the whole play on perseus.tufts.edu, which is a huge website with loads and loads and loads of ancient texts, ancient primary sources. Absolutely brilliant resource. That's uh, an older translation. All the translations on Perseus are out of copyright, uh, so they're all older. But you can also read just the section with the ghost story in a more up-to-date translations in Felton's Haunted Greece and Rome. Or in Daniel Ogden's source book, Magic, Witchcraft and Ghosts in the Greco Roman World. Um, Brilliant resource. If you have any interest in ancient magic, uh, witchcraft or ghosts, then that source book is an absolute must have. Um, So I would definitely recommend getting hold of that if that's something that you want to know more about. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this slightly lighter ancient ghost story um, for this month. I thought about everything that uh, is going on for everybody at the moment and decided maybe some cheering up was what was in order rather than something spooky or scary or tragic. Um, I had a very tragic one lined up that I think maybe I'll hold off on for now. Um, But uh, I will be back uh, next month um, with something slightly less ridiculous and involving slightly more actual ghosts, hopefully. Um, But in the meantime, stay safe, stay indoors, um, and uh, hopefully uh, I will be virtually talking to you all again next month. Creepy Classics is written and performed by Juliet Harrison. Music composed and performed by Ed Harrison. It's produced by Juliet Harrison with assistance from Newman University.